Welcome back to the Freewheeling Podcast. We are in the post-Tour de France Femme of Exwift come down, and we've gathered, well, a huge crew today to talk about the iconic race in France that just happened. We're going to talk about all of our favorite moments from the race and probably dive into some other things. I will start by introducing everybody. We got Amy Lauren Jones. Hello. Who is on the ground. Still feels like I just got back yesterday and I'm really tired, but it was like almost a week ago now. Tilda, who we just didn't hear from for like 10 days. I don't know. She just like dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah, I can't really divulge my location during the last week, um, but I had very much fun doing it and being there. Uh, Gracie, who is still in the polka dot uh, t-shirt that they hand out at the race, dressed for the occasion. Did you fight someone <laughs> for that? I did. There was a there was a few like mosh pits that I got got amongst, and but I, I never took them from children. Whenever a child didn't get one, I would hand one to them. But adults was fair game. <laughs> I actually got this for Kimberly, but I'm borrowing it for this podcast today, so I could be a bit festive. Amazing, I love it. And Lauren Rowney is joined on her screen by a new voice to freewheeling, but definitely not new. I'm pretty sure you've been on a podcast before, Carly. Yeah, I think you have. <laughs> yeah. In 20, when maybe you retired, I think we had you on. Yeah, time flies, but it probably has been a couple of years. But um, yeah, it's nice to join today. Yep. With the bestie. <laughs> yes. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> so full house, but we have a ton to talk about. And I think we should just dive right into it. I gave everybody the homework today of picking two of their favorite moments from the race. And I want to start with Gracie because Gracie, we missed your voice on the podcast and you were also doing an incredible job for SBS. And I feel like you maybe saw a lot of things that we didn't see. So I'm going to do this the way I want to do this. I'm going to start with everyone does one first and then we'll do a second round. So Gracie, what was one of your two favorite moments from the race? Oh, it's, um, yeah, it was so amazing to be there on the ground and see it all and, and see it all from a different perspective than I, I usually would as a writer, um, even though I've been retired for a little while now. Um, but I'll start from the start. My, my first highlight was day one and literally moments before the race even started. It was so cool to be there with the Eiffel Tower in the background and see the excitement and I was in the, the mix zone and I got to interview mostly Aussies but a few of my old friends and um, people in the peloton and just be being in that atmosphere being in that moment with them um, was really cool from a um, fan perspective from a journalist perspective from an ex-writer's perspective but then from a personal perspective as well it's it's really difficult for me to not put my own um, stamp on my highlights to to not you know, make it a bit about me <laughs> going into a bit of self-centered athlete mode here. But my mind was like, wow, you like they've gone now. They've ridden away. You you actually can't be in the race anymore. And even though, you know, for like since I retired, I, I wasn't going to line up at the Tour de France. It was so strange to have that that final finality of being like, well, they're actually just riding away now, so you definitely can't be there, <laughs> which was really kind of an interesting feeling. But it was it was cathartic. It was really nice watching the whole bunch ride away, and it was started. I think Lauren and I felt kind of the same way as you did, maybe watching the race and having like a moment where we were like, "Shit, I wish I wish that I was able to be in this." Even though I know I've come to terms with my career being over, but I wrote that piece on cycling tips because like watching the race, especially my number one moment that I will get, that we'll get to later, um, was when I realized like I never made it, I never made it to this, this start line. And it really hurt Carly. I don't know if you felt the same way. I think I, you can't be an ex-professional cyclist at the women, first ever women's tour de France and, and not think that. Um, I also think though, having all the riders like so many ex-pros there that had like was just maybe like 
you know, recently retired, it kind of made it pretty special too, like seeing all of those familiar faces who it was also such a big moment for them, like Carmen Small and Liz Lott, who were DSs for Jumbo Visma and Shara Gillow, who was the nutritionist. Like you had our generation, I guess, there. And to some extent, we you felt a part of it still, even though there definitely was a bit of FOMO going on and like wishing, like Gracie said, you kind of, yeah, have that in the back of your mind about, oh, like if you held on for longer and could have raised it. But, yeah, it was definitely special having all of those familiar faces too and um, like Eros behind on Eurosport and, yeah, I think that part of it um, made it, made it special too. I think that actually would be my highlight um, is the fact I was only there two days, but as soon as I walked into that sort of the start area where you have the fan zone and everything, I got like shivers and then I got emotional. I started getting tears in my eyes because I was like, oh, my God, this is women cycling now. Like we did it. We're getting there. We're finally mm-hmm. we're here. We have a voice. We're on a platform. People are here to watch it and they're stoked to be here and then just seeing like, the setups of the women's teams and still getting goosebumps and then bumping into all the old people that you used to know. Like first person I saw was Ina, who was a teammate and is now the the lead DS for Trek Segafredo and then seeing Iris on the motorbike and Moraine DeVries, who was a teammate of Carly and a very good journalist in the Netherlands. She gave me a big hug and she was super emotional and she's like, can you believe this? And just bumping into all the old staff, but it was all mainly like women from our time who were racing, but were there in another capacity. And it's so easy. Like when I retired, I stepped straight into it. And I think Gracie said the best thing she did was she was on the outer for a little bit, like still watching from the outside, but not directly in that commentating role or a DS or something like that. And for me, that was a bad decision. It was too soon. The, you know, the first year I retired, I was already at Drenta there watching them race. And that was like a few months. I only quit in January and I was there in March. So that was not the best time. But now, like years on, you see all these amazing um, former professionals just doing such a great job for the sport. And I had a really good chat with Yolinda Hora and um, she's just loving her role with Next Gen and um, being in that position where like that team is just sort of starting off and she gets to grow with the team as they, you know, aim for the same sort of goal she had as an athlete all those years ago to reach that world tour status and be one of the best teams. And um, that was a highlight, just mm-hmm. seeing all your peers and like, of course, Carly, like just crushing it in her role with Zwift and seeing Gracie on TV. And it was just Yeah, very special. I feel like this is a side effect of women cycling growing so much is that we have all of these women who are kind of in the the tail end of the sport before we got all the live coverage. And the live coverage is really opening up this platform for people like, you know, me and Lauren to have our podcast that's grown so much and for Gracie to do commentary and like so many former professionals. I mean, Iris as well to be on the motorbike. Like our our um, perspective has so much value now because there's this gaping hole where before there was no live coverage. So you didn't really need the perspective of former racers, but now you do because there's, you know, three hours worth of live coverage and you need to fill it. And um, and it's also it also means that the the written coverage that Tilda and Amy were putting out is so valuable because all of a sudden there's all these eyeballs on it that, you know, just weren't there before. And it's purely because they're seeing the race and they then want to know more. And so there's like this knock on effect from, from there just being coverage of women's racing and especially the tour de France. I mean, I can't like go into the official behind, behind the scenes numbers, but like the number of downloads on the podcast were like insane compared to what we usually get. The Tour de France effect happened in the Peloton with all the crashing <laughs> and also, you know, the Tour de France effect in a positive way happened for all the coverage, all of the the viewing figures, which I think, yeah, before we go into, I want to know Amy and 
uh, tildes as well because they were on the ground. But Carly, you have some of the viewing numbers. So I think we should dive into that really quick. Yeah, um, I've only got really uh, the France numbers, but on like French TV, like the two stations, France 2 and France 3, that aired it um, over the eight stages, the average um, audience was 2.25 million. And it peaked on the final stage, stage eight, at 5.1 million, which was 45.6% of the audience share on that day, um, which like is pretty impressive. Like obviously people wanted to watch the film and um, I think like that was the message that I know from Swift we were wanting to share and hoping that um, people were tuning in and we heard that on Dutch TV, especially in the first um, five stages, well, I guess like the Dutch ended up taking home every jersey too, but um, it was like over 70% of people that were watching the Men's Tour de France tuned in to watch the women, um, which, yeah, is awesome to see like so many people kind of following the sport and it shows people want to watch women's cycling too. And this is just something that's been a long time coming. And finally, I think it's kind of proven that this, it was ready and it was time and it's just going to grow from, from here, I think. Yeah. I had like my brother-in-law message me, oh, I listened to freewheeling for the first time. Um, because he was like seeing in the news, the women's Tour de France. And he was like, oh, I wonder what that's all about. And yeah, it was the amount of people that tuned into this race that have never watched women's bike racing before and will hopefully then continue on to watch maybe not Vagarda this weekend because team time trials are a, are a dead art form, but <laughs> like maybe the tour of Scandinavia that's coming up or, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah. I, I always leave a quiet gap for someone to jump in. Jumping, <laughs> <laughs> we're all like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm always the person that adds in when there's like an awkward silence of like, I should make a noise. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Tilda, uh, you were not on the ground <laughs> for. Tilda was fangirling at the Commonwealth Games because I think she was just hanging out in Birmingham. Yeah, she was there to cheer on Amy's boyfriend, who, like, I don't know his name, but Amy's boyfriend. Unknown mountain biker. What is Slazy? <laughs> because I saw that picture everywhere. What? Mate, come on. Mate. I did think this the other come day. On. I thought, oh think my about God, it. it just looks like it says Slazy. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah obviously I was just sort of in France warming up for that you know getting some tips from the fans there for my own um trip on Wednesday um no but yeah I was indeed in France um there was this girl called Hilda that I kept bumping into but that was a bit of a low light of the weekend um <laughs> it was she was great actually I think I like oh, her more nice than you. isn't it I just don't like you <laughs> yeah fuck <laughs> By the way, Hannes does not get your sense of humor, Amy. He's like, Amy was very mean to that Hilda girl. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, they're actually very good friends. And he's like, no, I don't think he likes her. Um, she likes she likes her. And I was like, you just don't get him off. <laughs> also, Hilda, Hilda doesn't exist. I know. <laughs> He's I'm Belgium. So this is my public apology to Hilda. I'm very sorry for the way that I talked to you. <laughs> Pass it on. All right. Hilda, um, Hilda, your top moment. Yeah. I think, you know, speaking of the fans and the audience, I think the moment for me was when we were driving up to the top of Lamarckstein on stage seven. Um, there are four roads up to the top, three of them were the route, and there was one back road that we could all take. And once this road started, you know, it was quite a long a long climb up to the top and there were so many people walking up, riding up like little kids, families, older people. And it was a really long walk and a hard walk and it wasn't close to anywhere. And I think there was part of me that maybe during the first week wasn't fully appreciating the number of fans that were there or was putting it down to, you know, they're just coming out in the towns and along the route because they're just coming out outside the houses basically. And it's not, it's not the same as the tour when everyone is trying to be there. But when I realized that people were walking up this like 4K, 5K, someone told me they'd walked 7K up to the top for the for a women's race, for the finish of the women's Tour de France. And it wasn't even the final stage. 
I just thought like, wow, people are really, really, really making the effort. And it's not just that people are incidentally out here or they've just made the effort because it's five minutes from their doorstep. They're actually going to a pretty big effort to go up there. And that's kind of where women's cycling is now. And I think there can be a lot of discussions about where this race should rank among other races. But I think it just proves that when you put the Tour de France name to it, it it is just a different level. And whether that's a good thing or not, in the grand scheme of things, I don't know. But the fact that it gets more people watching women's cycling and people will see those crowds and see these numbers, I just... I don't think there's a bad element of it. Like that can only be a good thing. And yeah, when we got to the top and it was the atmosphere and the number of people up there, you would have thought it was the biggest stage of the men's Tour de France. It didn't, it didn't feel like second to anything. And yeah, that was the moment where I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is big. Was it also because you got to hang out with me at the top? <laughs> yes, of <Okay>. course. <laughs> uh, where does this race rank? among other ra- women's races you guys think um i don't know because you know a lot of riders said it was the hardest race they'd ever done like it wasn't it wasn't an easy event and it wasn't just like a showpiece it was a really tough race with a bit of everything and everyone wanted to win and i think even though it is in its first year it was a really well put together race and we can't like diminish it just because it's in its first year. It, it it was huge. And it I don't think it was just being overhyped because of what it was. I think actually when you look at the course, it was one of the better courses that have been put together this year. I think those first five days were like each stage was so brutal that people probably um like you had the gravel stage, you had like on Champs-Élysées, then the first stage where it was way, a lot windier than predicted and it split up a lot more um, than the one that Cecilia won too. But those first four or five stages, I think, were some of the most exciting and, like, entertaining racing that I've watched. And then you still had the final two epic, like, stages to come too. So, yeah, I definitely think it was probably, like, quite a hard tour Um but I feel like they did the a good job. I agree. Was the first point the peloton was just like, <sighs> yeah, okay, yeah. All right, we've got three to go. But um, yeah, I totally agree with you. It was just, I don't know, looking at the course profile. Perhaps I didn't study it hard enough. But I mean, we did predict that um, stage three and four. We thought it would end in a similar situation to a dip, but I just didn't think the race would be so epic. And of course, yeah, stage. Three, no, stage two was the one with all the crashes and the wind and everything, yeah. um, which, again, is that Tour de France effect that has been spoken about in the men's tour. Um, the same sort of thing, I guess, was happening. I was about to interject and say that that crash day was the point at which any semblance of FOMO that I may have had for my not-so-glittering career <laughs> was completely dissipated. The crashes were pretty bad. And I was like, yeah, I was talking Take me in the press room with the free champagne. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was talking to one of the riders who said that the, the crashes on stage two were just insane. Like she was in one crash and then she was behind one crash. And then she, by the third crash, she was just like, I'm just going to ride to the finish. I am no longer racing to get to the finish. Like I just want to survive. So I think stage two, there was even more chaos going on than we got to see on the coverage, it seemed like. These hard days and days like, that's obviously not, as we've discussed at length now, not unique to the women's peloton. And like all these, the way it was so hard and like the long stage and the climbs and stuff, I think you should, the courses should be built for the the, the future that you want for women's cycling in terms of like the depth and the peloton and all that. And you can't grow that if the races are made to suit the kind of middle ground or like the lower level, like you have to build these challenging parkour because that's how then people train for that. And they have the opportunity to race those climbs and that sort of thing. And that's how it grows. I think I don't know where that that came from. That was really like out of the blue, that comment. But (laughs) I was just thinking before, like what we were talking about with the, how hard the race was. And then also all this kind of discussion around 
like, should there be long climbs, like the ones we saw on stage seven and eight, because Animate just kind of rides away. But like, yeah. that's what that's what the tour is like. And Tilda talking about the crowds and stuff. That's what that's the kind of stage that people do come out in force for. I think the course designer off the record, even though this is a long podcast, I think he admitted that. <laughs> Wait, do you want he, me to edit this out or no? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, keep it in. I think a lot of people before that stage started and then definitely after were like, I think it's one climb too many. And then after the stage had finished, like that was definitely one climb too many. And one of the course designers we were able to chat to at breakfast the next day and he said, yeah, we we definitely didn't need one of those climbs in there, but we're learning. And I think that was really good that they didn't just double down and be like, no, we're great. We did a perfect course design. Like he was like, oh, we just, we're learning and we're just going to try and make it better next time. So yeah, I think that it was too much in those last two days. And I don't know if we'll see that again, but maybe something bigger, but in a different way, which is good. But I don't know. I don't really want to harp on the crashes and 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 stuff and all the feedback we have because we have a lot and I, I want to stay on the highlights today. But just to put in my two cents, I think there's a few, there was plenty of roads in there that you probably wouldn't have seen in the men's tour de France. It was just there were some roads that were a bit more dangerous than what they needed to be, especially the last 5K of some of the stages. So I think overall the, the organisation learned from how the women's race went. So I hope that they can, you know, be good enough that they don't need heaps of outside feedback, that they can have their own feedback and and know what needs to be improved on. I think there's something to be said about, like Amy said, if you put the long climbs in the women's race, the Peloton will adapt to it. And that's something that we have seen growing over the years. And yes, nobody could keep up with Anamik on the climbs, but I am firmly of the opinion and I am staying in this camp that Demi would have contested for the yellow Jersey had SD works, not completely fucked up stage four. Like, yes, they won the stage, but in terms of the general classification, like what the hell were you doing? (laughs) Sorry. But I feel like those climbs and, and that being in the race, like maybe it was really hard for, 80% 80% of the Peloton, 80% of the Peloton, like barely survived the day. But if you keep putting those climbs in races and especially like if the, if climbs like that are thrown into the Giro or the tour of Scandinavia, then the Peloton is going to adapt more climber types to be able to challenge someone like Anamique. And it, you also can't, it's hard to like, look at the way that the race shook out and the way the general classification shook out and be like, oh, there's just this like, when Anamik retires, there's going to be such a better fight for the for the general classification. Like, yeah, maybe that's true, but she's also single-handedly raising the level of the peloton. So I, I think that we were super critical, me and Kit and Kaylee, on the last episode about Anamik and her performance, but it, it, it wasn't like a... We don't dislike Anamik. Like it was maybe a bummer to watch from a perspective of someone who just wants to see like a really gripping GC battle that comes down to the wire. But Anamik's performance is is pushing cycling, pushing women cycling to level up. And she's and she was she was incredible. Like she was amazing. I don't love stage seven. I think it was a little bit too much, but I also think that. I wouldn't want them to dumb down the course just because it's women, you know, it's a, it's a fine line. Yeah. I think there is a part of me that's really glad that they didn't shy away from really big climbs. Um, whether they were too hard or suited one rider a bit too much, like that is a whole other discussion. But I think in general, the idea of the race going over such big climbs and stuff like that is a good thing. Okay. Amy, favorite part. Well, it's going to sound quite similar to Tilda's really, because I was going to say just like the crowds that came out. Um, I wrote a piece. Well, I just kind of went around asking the riders about it as well. And I think a lot of people kind of said a similar thing, which was on the first stage on in Paris, everyone was kind of like, okay, there's quite a few people here, but are they just here, you know, because it's Paris and it's men's race too and everything. But after that, on every stage, people just kept coming out and, a few of them also said, like, 
even in totally random places on the road where you wouldn't expect anyone to be, there were loads of people like on the road. Like, so yeah, I think that was like, it, it was quite surprising because I like, obviously we're not really used to massive turnouts at, at women's races like that. And just all the kids on like, the roads out at the women's tour who get the day out, who get like an hour off school to go. The school kids. We love the school kids. Um, they just want to get out of maths. Like, let's be real. <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, it's like we we're saying that like it that is because it's the Tour de France. And you could really, it was it was quite clear that for those people, it didn't matter if it was a men's or women's Tour de France, it was just the Tour de France and they wanted to come out and watch that. And yeah, like Tilda said, it was kind of like in the towns and and everything, like in the more kind of built up areas earlier in the race, it was like, again, like, okay, are people coming out where like, cause it's convenient, but yeah, in the mountain stages, like people were out, like they turned up the top of the Planche de Belfield was absolutely packed like along the barriers. And yeah, it was just really cool to see. So. Yeah. I, I was able to swap out because in the men's tour, I was doing mostly the interviews and pieces to camera and stuff. And then the women's tour, I was able to swap out with Simon Gerrans and he went and did that job for about four days. Whereas I was in the commentary box and a couple of days he'd come back from doing the starts and be like, wow, that was, there were a lot of people there. That was like not a lot of people for a women's race. That was a lot of people for a race. That was more people that we get than we get in Paris Nice and like a bunch of other races. And, you know, he's done all of the big races and, and won a lot of them too. So to hear it from someone like him going, oh, that was more than I expected. It was cool to hear someone from that perspective as well sharing that feeling. Compared to that final day. Oh, sorry. sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that final day actually was when I probably got the most emotional because 10 years ago on that same climb, we were racing up it. And I think there was about one caravan, maybe a couple of spectators, and um, it was a race finish in the Route de France. And then you're thinking about that moment compared to the moment on Sunday where the amount of crowds and the amount of people, yeah, it was just you kind of like I was just blown away and that definitely was when I think it all just hit me probably from the whole week too but that was I think my definitely the highlight of just seeing that and it was like such a massive moment so it was awesome it's nice to hear that Simon also thought it was massive crowds. Side note Carly was the Strava QOM holder until Anamik. Yeah <laughs> <laughs> I feel actually I'm not too bad. It was only by a minute 15 for a 20-minute effort. So I think um, I'm pleasantly surprised that it wasn't a massive flogging. And I'm going to say a minute 15 is a good, like, you know, around the mark at least. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I saw a lot of, like, not to compare the race to the men's race, but I think in terms of viewing numbers and engagement and, like, people showing up, it's a good benchmark to kind of give people an idea of where the race stacks up. And um, I've seen a lot of comparison to the men's Giro d'Italia, which is obviously not, it's like the second best grand tour, but it still, you know, pulls in a ton of fans and the, the women's tour de France really rivaled the men's Giro in terms of, you know, engagement on the, on the site for the podcast, but also, Viewing numbers and people on the ground is what I've I've heard, which is pretty cool. All right, for me, uh, my number one moment. I obviously had like a completely different perspective than all of you guys because I was the only one who wasn't on the ground. So I, what I saw was what I could see on TV, and my number one moment will probably unsurprisingly be Seeley's uh, win on stage three. The Emotion that she showed, like the raw emotion is pretty much what I would feel if I won a stage. And it was so easy for me to put myself in her shoes. I think a lot of the times we see people win and maybe they feel that way on the inside, but they're very stoic when they give their interviews and they kind of hold it together. But for me, I, I, Allison and Jackson and I talked about this, like, we don't know if it's because we're North American. So we like are more emotional than Europeans or something. Um, but 
watching her win from for, for one, her sprint was amazing. Like the power that she put out was incredible. She was so poorly positioned and I did not see her coming at all. She was not picked to win that stage. She, I didn't even really pick her to be in the fight um, when it came to the pointy ends of some of these days, just because we've not seen her race. And so from like a race tactics and strength perspective, it was amazing. But from the, the human aspect of her reaction to the win was just what made the moment for me because it was kind of like, Oh, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because she, she won a stage of the tour de France and you could see how much it means to riders. It was not like, yes, Voss won stage two and she showed, you know, the same amount of motion that she always does. And, and Weebus is rarely shows any emotion, but we love her. <laughs> but like Sile was like the first win for me of the race that was like, holy shit, this race is more. It means more. And so that was that was my favorite moment, I think. On that emotional note, and just to lean into what you just said about being North American versus European, Tilda and I were discussing on the last day, everyone has like cried at some point or got emotional about this race. And we were kind of sat there like, are we just made of stone like are we completely hot is like we have not cried you don't have emotions part, part partly that i think well i i mean like i got goosebumps like watching them set off on in paris and stuff like that but i was never i think it's partly when you're just running around and you don't even have time to like reflect on it at all but then we said that on the bus coming down from the planche de Belfield, and then literally like an hour later in the press room i was like basically crying because demi bonner and started crying in here in, in her press conference till he's already welling up thinking about it. Um, and then the next thing that made me cry and fully cry was Gracie's interview with Anna Meek. Yeah, yeah that's my, I think that's my <laughs> second highlight. That was crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we really went from no crying yeah. to just, yeah, crying all of a Sunday. All of it. <laughs> just, yeah. We were just weeping. Gracie, I want to hear night. about that interview because uh, obviously like a lot of people probably don't know that you were teammates with Anamik early in her earlier in her career. Yeah, we were teammates for five years, so a, a good part of her career and that whole part of her transition from being a really good rider to the best one of the best riders. And we were really close. I think we were two of the closer friends on that team for a long time and we were in sync for a lot of the races before she became the uber climber and time trialist but I didn't go in that direction um and yeah I think we all always had this special relationship but it kind of did I hate to say it, that relationship died away a little bit in those last couple of years that we were both on that team like I retired and she moved on to Movistar but she was just so focused and always at altitude and didn't come to as many races anymore. And I didn't have that playmate at the classics as much. Like for sure, we still race with each other, but it just wasn't the same. And I was always a bit sad about that, even though I was really happy for her. And it was just amazing what she's been able to do with her abilities and her career. And I, I just, you know, I was really happy with that interview. I, I tried to think of interesting questions and especially that second question, I really wanted her to speak to all of those young riders out there that look up to her and she's 39 and be as lean as her and do that much training and so many riders are getting broken because of that and it's not her fault. But it's, I just wanted to, for her to use her own words and say, you know, like I didn't do this overnight. It took me 15 years to get to this point you have to have fun and it's she does it to in a very scientific way she doesn't starve herself she doesn't do crazy training that's not monitored she has a great coach she's got great support around her she does everything the most scientific I've seen you know most athletes do it and that's why she's so good and then, yeah, I, I was, as I was saying, I was really happy with her answers and I wrapped up and then she reached across for the microphone and I just, as soon as she grabbed the microphone, I just was like, oh, 
I could just feel my emotion coming on. I didn't know what she was going to do, though. I thought she was just going to, you know, say thank you. And and she went on for a minute and I was bawling in the mix zone. You didn't see it much on camera in the interview, but I was sobbing that whole minute. <laughs> we had, like, full eye contact. She was. It was just her and I. I didn't know what else was going on around me. It was just one of those perfect moments. And... Yeah, I'm speaking the emotional now. Yeah, I mean, I think she she has changed so much as a rider. And it's we love to see those riders at the top show humanity. And um for her to thank you directly for what you've done in her career. Um but I mean it made me connect with her a lot more, but I but what's amazing about that is that she wasn't saying it because she wanted, you know, more fans. She was just speaking straight from the heart. And domestiques a lot of the time get really overlooked. Riders who help riders get to where they are. And I think we're kind of at a turning point in the sport, both men's and women's, where riders who spend the whole day on the front are getting a lot more recognition than they have in the past. And... I mean, it was, it was such a beautiful moment. Everyone on the screen that I can see Mm. is crying right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And going back to what I was saying about closure, like I just, I never thought I would get that moment and I never even like, I I never thought about even wanting it because I just, it just didn't come into my mind that I needed that. (laughs) Did you ever feel, Gracie, that, um, you know, because we see Anamique and it just sometimes from the viewer, what the viewer is watching, it just looks like she's she's just so far above everyone else. She's kind of doing it on her own, but she always has had a team behind her. And I think it was a special time when she was with that Orica to bike exchange outfit with all those Aussies. And you had a really good culture at that time. And she is a lovely human being. And I remember that you guys had a close friendship, but was there, you know, ever that moment that you really, really felt that appreciated in that role? Um, she was always pretty thankful and, you know, you've, we've all seen videos of her giving away jerseys that she signed from the Giro and she's pretty thankful off the bike but she's just such a machine on the bike. It's, it's easy to see Anamik as more of the machine than the human and... I was I was so grateful for me personally to have that moment, but I was kind of glad that she was able to show the real Anamik to the world as well because, you know, that wasn't a one-off moment. You just don't see it as a, a fan or a spectator as much. You, you do see it as a teammate and a, and a friend. So I think that humanised her because we saw heaps of Demi, Demi, Demi written on the road. You didn't really see any Anamik. Um, paint on the road or signs and I find that kind of interesting that she doesn't have as a bigger following or or a bigger fan base like she does definitely have a huge fan base but maybe she's just not as relatable and as some of the other athletes are so yeah it's just interesting It's, it's an interesting example of why we like sport and and why women some of the reasons women want to watch sport are different to some of the reasons men want to watch it. On the Demi topic, I'm going to go into my second favorite thing because it kind of relates. Um, my second favorite moment was when Demi crossed the planche de Belfi second in tears and did her, did a heart with her hands and then basically just fell into the arms of her mom because for me, God damn it. Now I'm going to cry. Because for me, like (laughs) one of the most amazing things about this race was the riders didn't get here by themselves. Like, yes, there's teams behind them, but there's also like so much support from off the bike. And like my my family would have been there to catch me. And so when I saw Demi come across the line, I could like I could see myself kind of like if I'd ever been that good, which I wasn't, but like, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's so much family support and, and partners who support their, their partners in, in chasing these dreams. And a lot of times they, they don't come to anything 
and those careers are just as magical as the careers that, that the writers that we got to see are. But a lot of the times, you know, the, the families of writers don't get to see their loved ones achieve what these women achieved at the Tour de France femme. And to kind of see Demi ride into her mother's arms after she won the polka dot Jersey, she had an incredible week and maybe she didn't achieve what she wanted to, but she was still so happy with what she did manage to get. And that was, that was just such an amazing moment for, for me to see mostly because I can like, I feel like there's a, there's a theme in a lot of our favorite moments that kind of relate back to ourselves and how we felt watching it. And yeah, my parents were a huge part of my career and they came to every race that they could. And if I'd been there, like my dad would have caught me at the finish line. And so it's seeing that was my second top moment. Oh, you're making me cry. I'm thinking of my mum and dad. <laughs> I'm glad our video camera is now off and miraculously the internet just played up. <laughs> oh, man. I think that was a really great point, Abby, though. I think that was really well said. We all, we all have people behind us. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that one. That's probably, all right. I think... Um, that was going to be also my second moment, so I should probably jump in. <laughs> um, but I think as well. Yeah, I just, figured some of us would overlap. Moments. Yeah, and just the moment when she celebrated, like I think a lot of people thought Demi would be really, really disappointed because she came into this race wanting to win. But I think she had a lot of time to reflect on the fact that, and she said this in the press conference, that that was the best she could do. She had tried her best. She had never felt better on the bike. She was in the form of her life. And she just wasn't at the level of Annemiek. And that must be really hard to deal with because, you know, there's part of you that thinks all you can do is try your best. But there's it's also a very hard moment to realise when your best just isn't quite good enough to do what you wanted. But she was very, I think, you know, she'd reflected on that and she'd considered that fact a lot. And she's only 25 and she showed so much maturity. And I think she showed a lot of, respect to the race and the other races and everything that she celebrated coming across that line and getting second and taking the polka dot jersey that wasn't a consolation prize for her at all she was happy about that and I think it just shows as well how much that race mattered to everyone that it wasn't all just about winning and the months and months that she'd spent preparing she didn't see that as wasted or an opportunity missed or something not achieved she was just as happy as anyone else to have done what she did. Well, she can chalk it up to her team completely ruining stage four. <laughs> Sorry. Yikes. I'm not going to get over it. It was very questionable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Carly, uh, what, I want you didn't, I didn't ask you your highlight yet. Your number one yet. Um, well, I was actually going to say, um, Mariana Voss getting in yellow just because I think just with everything she's achieved in the sport and she's pretty much won everything, um, it just felt almost like right that she at least wore the yellow at one point. And when she was um, a bit emotional too in like post-race, I was kind of backstage trying to get photos and stuff with Swift. Um, you could see what a big moment it was um, for her at that point. Um but also one of my massive highlights that I wanted to add was on the final day, um, I was again back um, behind the stage and um, Eric Zabel was there with Canyon Stram and he's been like six times um, green jersey winner in the Tour de France. And he was like, um, he was tearing up. And when you see someone like that, what they've achieved and they know what a big moment it was for women's cycling, I think that summed up pretty much how big last week was for, for the sport. And seeing him getting emotional, that was when I think I lost it. And I just was like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think, like, those, yeah, I kind of said two in the one lot then, but that was definitely... Um, yeah, two of my highlights from last week. Amy, what's your second one? My second one is a sleepover with Tilda. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Although it's kind of related. So, I mean, it's not, I haven't said a single thing to do with the actual racing, but for me, it was also working with so many women on the race. It was really awesome to have like such a crew of female journalists working on a race together because it's quite a rarity, even in women's cycling. Um, and it was just really nice and really fun. And it was, yeah, I just, as much as like this was kind of a big moment for the races, it was also quite a quite a kind of turning point. I don't know if that's the right word. Honestly, my, my brain is not has not returned to me. I left it on the planche to build field. Um it, yeah, it was just really nice to be able to work with so many women on a race that's so significant for women's cycling. So I mean, yeah. like normally we would come we would all come together after a race to talk about tactics and talk about, you know, the winners and losers of the race and who we were impressed by and young riders that we were excited to see. And I think that we've really, we've covered that, like maybe not us uh, together as a group have covered that, but freewheeling has with other, with the guests that I had on over the week and Amy and Matt on the ground. And the reason I wanted to do this episode is because I said it in the Velo Club Slack yesterday, but like freewheeling, I started it in 2017 just as a way for people to connect more with women cycling and under a different name. And it's grown so much um, over the past couple of years. But what it is now is a group of friends that get together to chat about women cycling. And this episode is not necessarily about tactics and the the moments that made the race as far as bike racing goes, the Tour de France femme of Egg Swift was so much more than just a bike race, just another bike race. And I feel like that's why I wanted to do this recap kind of with us as human beings, as fans of women cycling and ex-professional cyclists and journalists and we, who we are, what the race meant to us. And I'm sure at some point we will talk about tactics um, without meaning to, because we always bring things up and I will keep harping on stage for, but this is more, this is more of a big picture type conversation. And so like the, I mean, I can't remember who said it in an interview that I read recently or heard recently about the amount of women that were on the ground covering this race and working this race, one year as directors, more than just the riders, that's such a huge part of this race and why this race is important. And like Tilda said, whether or not the Tour de France being part of women's cycling is good or bad, I think that we can safely say after we saw the effect that it had on so many people that it's probably a really good thing that this is happening. There might be some negative knock-on effects and we will get into it at some point, I'm sure. But like, yeah, Amy, your you your things not being connected to the race. They are cuz for you that was your experience with it. And that's kind of why I wanted to have this chat. I wouldn't have a sleepover with anyone else. You know what I'm saying? There's not many <laughs> journalists in this game that I would. Uh... Fraternizing with the enemy, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Needs must, mate, when you've got no hotel to stay in. Yeah. What the hell, Kaylee? Come on. Shout out to Kaylee. One job. No, it's not entirely his fault. <laughs> <laughs> You're actually fired? <laughs> uh, okay, who didn't get to say their second one? I think it's just Lauren. I think, yeah. Well, I'm glad... Abby, I was getting emotional when you were saying what the podcast was about, but. Oh, bloody hell. We're all <laughs> we're like, this has turned into an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> Tilda's oh. just doing a makeup, don't make her cry. <laughs> I'm looking at Tilda. You can take a minute. We can come back to you. <laughs> I mean, there was probably so much that we missed that we didn't touch on. I don't know if there's anything that anyone wants to to dive into still. So I'm opening the floor. There's just so many highlights. I felt like every day that there, there was a highlight. And, yeah, I'm just really proud of all of the women in the race to do such a good job because, you know, 
there was a, a small bit of worry there that there might have been some negative racing or, or something that wasn't as good as it could have been because we all know how good women's racing can be. It was just so wonderful to, you know, everything that we've talked about today, like that was amazing. Crowds, great racing, great interviews. Just I don't think it could have been better for the first time. And, of course, there's things that need to be improved and, and altered here and there, but the fact that we all got to be a part of it in our own ways is awesome because it won't ever be like this. This first year was special for so many reasons and I'm so grateful to have been part of it and I'm so grateful that all you guys got to be part of it because it will never be like it was this year. It was special. But in the words of my producer at SBS, the, the beautiful Catherine Whelan, she said, we're just getting started. It's true. Yeah. I, th- I mean, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Carly. I was just going to say um, the finish line is just the beginning, <laughs> which was one of Swift's <laughs> um, slogans for it. And I think that kind of is exactly right. It's just getting started. And this next foot, like three years, especially with, um, I know that like Swift being the naming sponsor, it's um, they just wanting it to keep growing and growing and how this year went. I think everyone in the company is so stoked with um, and I think exactly like what what they're wanting. It's like you got to get to know a lot of the women and their personalities too and then that in itself means that people start like having those like the young girls and the kids watching on the side of the road, they start having those heroes that are women cyclists and they know that like, women race bikes too and then that kind of gets more young girls on bikes and um yeah it's the first year and it started off at a really high level which was amazing than what I think we all always predicted would happen anyway but it's just going to get even bigger and that's pretty exciting in itself as well and I think this is something Carly and I've spoken about before like we came into the sport roughly around the same age 13 and you couldn't watch women cycling then of course and being uh, a Gold Coaster, the name that I first learned of was Robbie McEwen, not Sarah Carrigan, who was actually the one of the top female Australian um, road cyclists at that point and went on to win gold at the Athens Olympics. Um, but it was Robbie McEwen and it was watching the Tour de France. And that was the first race I ever learned about. And I watched it with my dad the whole three weeks. We would watch the recaps. And that was sort of just what I knew. And to find anything about women's cycling was so hard back then in 2002, 2003, 2004. And even when I had this idea of, oh, I want to go race in Europe and do the Tour de France when I was about 16 or so, I didn't realise that, you know, it was completely different for the women, but the the dream was still there and the the goal to wear green and gold was, was still there and that fire was always burning. Um, so I think that was just to see this now where it is and like, think of that kid 20 years ago is yeah. Special. Agreed. I also grew up watching the Tour de France. Well, and now if you think that 13 year old girl sitting in Australia, um, watching Gracie Eldon commentate on the women's Tour de France, Femme Vivek Swift, use the correct name. Um, (laughs) I am holding a, um, Holding a knife to her. So. <laughs> she, she doesn't have to sit there. Like she doesn't have to sit there now and dream of being the next Robbie McEwen. Um, she can sit there and actually dream of being the next Animate Van Vluten. Yeah, or Demi Vollering. Demi Vollering or Sylvia Persico, who had a fantastic tour. We haven't gotten into um that sort of talk today, but that that's the really just the thing that hit home for me is now these these young women can actually watch these fantastic, amazing women and, you know, go and Google them and figure out their stories. And with social media now, you can follow Demi Voller and living, like, the dream life in Switzerland with a dog and a partner. Oh, so wholesome. Oh, my God. So wholesome. (laughs) Um, Just these great idols that we have now, like, that we didn't really have access to before. I mean, the only athletes you really see is the... For us, the track and field and the swimmers, um, when the Olympics were on, they get some attention, but it, it's a different world now. And I'm just so excited. And it's not just for 
for women. It's also the young boys. Like my little son is going to grow up watching women cycling. I'm sure of it. And he's going to be a big fan already. Hannes, his big plan and it didn't pull off, but he wanted to send Harry around to all the Italians with a sign that said, I like pineapple on my pizza. (laughs) (laughs) But even my partner was really stoked to be there. And, you know, he's really invested in women's cycling now, like Amy's partner as well. Um, He loves it. He does. No, he was well into it. To be fair, he was like texting me about the stage. I mean, I feel like that photo that Jojo Harper took that was shared around social media, like really sums it up of the two Two girls on one of the climbs on stage seven, hugging in their polka dot t-shirts, um, like Gracie's that she's got on and their little hats, like so stoked to be on this climb and be there and be watching the race. And like that, the number of viewers and the number of people who get into the race and get into women's cycling and then follow throughout the year is going to grow every single year. Like this is only the beginning and we'll be able to talk more about the Tour de France effect and what that has on women's cycling in the future when we can actually see what kind of effect it has. But I feel like we're all coming off a high where it had an amazing effect on the world around us as a whole. And I mean, I can't wait to see what happens next. I can't wait to see the courses that they, they have next time because I feel like that did make the race for me. Um, watching from home, like, yeah, I had a much different experience, but the courses were amazing, uh, I think. Um, and so I, I'm so excited to see what they lay out next year and to see what happens as like the knock on effect of this race already. We know Ashley Monpasio is, is not retiring, um, because of the tour de France or the fact that there is there's still races to be raced um that that's like the only piece of news that we could throw in that she's going to next gen which will be interesting that's an interesting signing yeah so much for a u23 team no we don't have to get into it it's fine well (laughs) i think we should do a transfer one yeah we'll do a we'll do a full transfer episode this is a feel-good episode except for stage four of the tour de france (laughs) bam of x swift Never living so, that one down, are you, Abby? I'm like so upset. It I know. just was like a moment that oh god. Okay. Um, but I feel like we've we've said a lot and we'll let everybody at home process this. And from from me, I I'm so grateful for all of you, the listeners who joined us every single day and will hopefully continue listening to to us in the future because we we are kind of more than a podcast. Like we're all friends with each other. Um, and, and we love to get to, we I'm not friends with Tilda, we, except, <laughs> except for Tilda. I don't like We her. gather together once a week. And what you guys don't hear is the hour long conversation that happens before and after the podcast. Um, that we're just like a bunch of women who love talking about women's cycling. And the fact that people listen to us is, is still a little bit shocking. Um, but we're really, really grateful for the listeners for making this, uh, possible for us. And also to Zwift for sponsoring the podcast for the rest of the year. I mean, I, I love having a partner of the podcast who I love, like I it's, it's annoying when we get sponsors and I'm like, I don't really back this product, but I have to, but Zwift is something that is super special to me. So I'm really excited that they've come on to support this. And I said it in the other episodes, they support not only women cycling by sponsoring the Tour de France, they also support development in women's cycling with the Zwift Academy. They support journalism in, in women's cycling with this podcast. And so I'm really grateful to Zwift for everything that they do. And I mean, if you need a reason to go sign up for Zwift, their support of women's cycling is a great one. The fact that it's an amazing product I mean, yeah. And shout out to Carly because she does an amazing job with their content and socials. So good job, Carly. You've done awesome. That was five euro well spent paying you guys. No, I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm very proud to, like, I think last week was probably my highlight. I've been working with Swift for almost four years now. And I think that was definitely the best week 
being in the, like being able to be on ground for that. Um, I feel very proud to be with the company that is um, yeah just wanting to kind of support and be um, that example of setting the bar of um, helping women cycling grow and leading by example. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of women and people behind the scenes in the company that um, are making that happen. So yeah, it was special to be on ground for that and get some fun content with Scotty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I might have looked like a bit of an idiot running around with him, but um, I feel like as if Scotty this girl um, content was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All right. I think we can wrap up the episode now and we'll be back next week to chat about Vagardas over the weekend. And well, this episode will come out on Monday. So we'll be back next week to talk about Vagarda and also uh, the Tour Scandinavia is coming up, which is very exciting. It is another new-ish race because it's an old race that kind of turned into a new race, but we'll dive into it in our next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to you all for jumping on the Zoom call with me. It's Abby. Yeah, Her thanks hug. for having me. <laughs> <laughs> cool.